Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, July 11, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Working from the ESPN studios in Bristol, Connecticut, is Sarah Abbott. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in New York, and Taylor Schwenk is working from the foothills of Connecticut in his new home studio. Taylor, you for it today because the Orioles are rolling. Hey there, Buster. I am not in Connecticut right now. I am actually in a bar stool in Dundalk, Maryland. We've been watching the Orioles for eight straight days now, and it's been a lot of fun. Buster, I am so pumped. I'm, I'm not, my expectations aren't through the roof, but I'm just enjoying the ride, man. This is phenomenal. Uh, uh, there, there's no doubt about it. They're playing great. We got a conversation coming up about what's next for the Orioles. But what we know is they're winning every day. Here was the bottom of the fourth inning on Sunday. Orias loops this one into center field. It's down for a base hit. Home comes Mountcastle right behind him as Anthony Santander. Orioles take it right back from the Angels. It's 3-2 Baltimore. Now from WBAL, the final score is 9-5. Here was the game-ending call. On the ground, second base. Odor the feed. Mateo the turn. The Orioles have won eight straight games, 9-5 in the sweep finale on this Sunday afternoon at Camden Yards, which has just been raucous this weekend. Baltimore, 43-44, and a game short of 500. That's hard. Yeah, big crowds on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. You got any superstitions going, Taylor? Like you haven't changed your underwear during this winning streak or something? Actually, I'm wearing my Orioles hat right now, my go-to Orioles hat, and I do wear it a lot, but I have been wearing it very consistently over the last eight days and in some like sweatier situations this week. And normally I wash my hats, but I will not be doing that until uh, the wheels fall off of this win streak. Wow. And how does your wife feel about that? Mm, she is not really, she doesn't really question it. She's not really into my hat hygiene until it starts to smell and we haven't gotten there yet. Okay, well, let's, uh, for the sake of your wife, let's hope uh, this winning streak doesn't go on way too long, okay? All right, all right. All right, Mariners, Blue Jays, what's going on with the Blue Jays? What's going on with the Mariners who are winning as well? Here's the stretch by Simber and the right-hander's 0-2 pitch to Carlos Santana. Swing and a well-hit ball, deep to right field. Back she goes, and this one is gone. Goodbye, baseball, he did it again. Yeah, folks in Kansas City are going like, what? Who is this Carlos Santana? Because <laughs> he has absolutely helped the Mariners turn around. They win that game on Sunday, 6-5, to five, that call from Seattle Sports, 7-10 a.m. They're kind of working under the shadow of the Orioles right now, but Seattle's rolling in Toronto. I don't know what's going on with the Blue Jays. we got to talk about that later in the week. Red Sox, Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball, and how about Matt Carpenter? Swing and a high, deep drive right field. He hit that one a long way. Bradley racing to the bullpen, and that one's gone. Matt Carpenter drops one into the bullpen. The Yankees taking aim at that mark tonight for the second time. A Yankee hits one into the Boston pen. This is another two-run homer, and the Yankees lead it 6-2. to two. 
that from Dave O'Brien. Yeah, at that point, Giancarlo Stanton hit a home run. The uh, Nick Pavetta got knocked out. It looked like the Yankees were fully in control of this game. But you know what? The Red Sox came back. High deep drive right field. That one may go. Judge back to the bullpen. It is gone. And the Red Sox have tied it. Their third home run of the ball game. J.D. Martinez touching them all. The problem for the Yankees, or one of the problems for the Yankees on Sunday night, their defense. D.J. LeMay, who had a rough night at second base. Swing and a high pop-up into short center field. Racing back LeMahieu, turning around. He drops another one. That's off the glove. Here comes the run. The throw comes into second base to get the out there, but a run comes in to score, and the Red Sox are in front 7-6. to six. It was 7-6 in the bottom of the seventh inning when Trevor Story came to the plate with the bases loaded. Swing at a high fly ball up center field. This is deep. That one heading back toward the wall. They're looking up, and it's off the green. Back onto the warning track. Martinez scores. Here comes Bogarts. Here comes Verdugo to throw home the tag. They will not get him. He scores. Three-run score on a wall ball double by Trevor Story. Final score at Fenway Park last night, Red Sox 11, Yankees 6. It was a strange series because it felt like the Yankees dominated a lot of it, but the Red Sox came back to win on Saturday. They came back to win on Sunday, and they wound up splitting a four-game series. The Braves, the Nationals, the Braves have been absolutely rolling. Austin Riley had a great Sunday. Oh, one pitch. There's a drive to left field. Back to the wall. He may have tied the game. He did! Homer Austin Riley! And a 3-3 game here in the eighth inning. The pitch. Swung on. Hit to left field. Base hit. That ought to do it. Dansby around third. He's going to score. And the Braves win it in the 12th. Austin Riley comes through. Those calls from 680, the fan. Meanwhile, the Mets played the Marlins and went into extra innings with a 0-0 score. And then in the top of the 10th inning, this happened. The 1-2, there goes Hamilton. The pitch is a ball. The throw goes into left field. Hamilton's going to score, and the Marlins take a 1-0 lead. Nito airmailed that ball over Escobar. Hamilton with his third stolen base, and the E-2 makes it 1-0 Miami. Sandy Alcantara was terrific for the Marlins in their 2 to nothing win over the Mets. That call from Glenn Geffner, 940 WINZ. And at the end of the day, the Mets lead over the Braves a game and a half, leading into a series that starts tonight uh, between these two teams. And the Braves made a really interesting transaction that I'm going to be talking with Tim Kirchner about in just a second. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. The Twins, the Rangers, the first place Twins, and Byron Buxton uh, got them started in the top of the first inning. No score first inning, and the pitch, a swing and a fly ball to right field, deep down the line in the corner, back it goes and gone. Caught by a Twins fan in the front row, down the right field line, Byron Buxton, a two-out solo shot to right, and the Twins take a one-nothing lead. Corey Provis on the Treasure Island Baseball Network. The Twins win the game 6-5 to five at the end of the day. They lead the Central by four and a half games. Bad news for the Houston Astros. Jordan Alvarez has been dealing with that hand issue for a while. 
According to uh, Astros manager Dusty Baker, that injury got worse, so they decided, you know what, we're just going to sideline him, give him a bunch of days off, and hope that he gets better in the second half. The Dodgers have been playing great. They faced the Cubs on Sunday, and it really looked like they were going to get blown out. They were down big in the top of the third. The 1-1, a swing and a drive, left field and deep. Back goes Lux to the left field wall. That's a home run for David Bodie. A line drive to the seats and left. Bodie's first of the year, and the Cubs have opened up an 8-3 lead. A clutch, two-out, three-run homer by David Bodie. That from the Cubs radio network, Pat Hughes with the call. The Dodgers would come back. It was Freddie Freeman who applied the coup de grace on the bottom of the sixth. 1-0. Freeman with a shot to left center field. Morrell going back. He's at the wall. He looks up, and Freeman hits it out. Freeman's third hit of the day. It's his 11th home run of the year, and the Dodgers now have themselves a 10-8 lead. Charlie Steiner, AM570 LA Sports. The final score was 11-9. The Dodgers lead the National League West by eight games. Over the last few days, we learned the composition of the All-Star teams. We found out who got snubbed. We'll be talking about that. And we heard a lot of exciting rumors about the home run derby. Taylor, what else you got? Mm, Buster, one of those things about the home run derby we're going to miss out on, Jordan Alvarez. Would have loved to see him there, unfortunately. Yeah. A little banged up. Uh, we got a new podcast over here at ESPN in partnership with Omaha Productions. Always college football with Greg McElroy. He's dropping episodes three days a week. I listened to his episode on Friday. Wonderful interview with Lincoln Riley. You should check that out wherever you listen to your podcast. And you should continue listening to Tim and Buster's segment. But if you want to watch it too, you know, watch them, you know, wave their arms around and shout at each other. You can view that on ESPN's <laughs> YouTube page. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. He's covered baseball for a long time uh, and done it so well that he is going to be honored at the Hall of Fame uh, in just a couple of weeks. And Tim, I had a chance on uh, to do a show with you on Friday with Eduardo Perez and Carl Ravitch, who, of course, worked with you for years on Baseball Tonight. And they said aloud, and it surprised me a little bit, they feel like that since you were voted into the Hall of Fame that you've changed. <laughs> okay? That it, it, you're different than you were before. That, you know, there's a little uh, diva coming out in you. What do you think? That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is Ravi, the most mischievous instigator of all time who knows how to upset me and he does it all the time just to aggravate me. He did that on purpose. There's, <laughs> there was absolutely zero chance in my life that I would ever change about anything, especially something like this. I just want to get through Cooperstown in one piece and then I'll be the happiest man in the world. But do not ever suggest that I've changed about anything, good or bad. I'm exactly the same person I was a long time ago. So in your speech at the Hall of Fame, you mentioned anybody but yourself. <laughs> I I have memorized my speech. I've done it a hundred times. And yes, I have to mention myself, but most of the speech is about all the people along the way that I've met and that I love. So please 
This is ridiculous. This is rapping all over this. And you love it too, Buster. You love to aggravate and irritate me, and you're really good at it. All right. Well, then I'll back off a little bit here. Let's talk about a a team, a city that you and I both know well. Uh, Years ago, you were a beat writer in Baltimore, and then years after that, I followed you. And so there's a warm spot in our heart for that franchise and for that fan base. Uh, and you can see the excitement over the weekend when the Orioles uh, extended their winning streaks, six, seven, and eight in front of great crowds at Camden Yards. Tell me what you're seeing in the Orioles. Well, I'm seeing the best baseball they've played in years. They aren't just good right now. They're exciting and good. They are really fun to watch. They can hit. They have three or four guys in the middle of the order that can just rake. And they have pitched so much better than I thought they would. But most important, you know, I mean, they had 33,000 at a game the other day. That's And I know it's Otani and Trout, but those people were there to see the Orioles. Buster, as you know, the Orioles last year finished 39 games out of fourth place in the division. No, Only one other team has finished that far behind the next worst team in the league or the division. And right now they're two games out of fourth place, which means they're two games out of a wild card spot at the moment. And they're, you know, they're four and a half games out of second place in a really difficult division. This has been a stunning turnaround that it has happened this quickly and it's so good for the organization and it's mostly so good for the town, which has been waiting for so long for the Orioles to start to show some progress in this rebuild. And we're seeing it right now. And it is really fun to watch. The Orioles had not won eight consecutive games in a season since April 22nd to May 1st in 2005. I'm really happy for Trey Mancini, you know, to be in that uh, organization for that long and to go through the struggles of tanking the recent years and the, you know, the ugliness they've had there. I'm really happy for Brandon Hyde because, you know, Brandon Hyde is a great baseball guy. He's a good person. Uh, I know when he took that job, he had to have known the situation that the team was going to be terrible for a while. And guys in that job sometimes lose that opportunity or get fired from a a job like that, and they never get another opportunity, Tim. Right, and he has done a great job with his patience especially. I mean, it would have been so easy last year when they lost 19 games in a row or whatever it was, you know, to panic or start screaming, but he recognized this is part of the process, and now they're in a really good spot. And I hope for their sake, on one level, they should make some deals potentially at the trade deadline and bring some more young guys back as they continue the rebuild. But part of me says they should not do anything. They finally got people interested again in Baltimore. I'm not suggesting they're going to make the playoffs, but the fact that they're in the wild card race tells me they need to keep Cedric Mullins. They need to keep Trey Mancini. They need to keep all those guys and give their fans something to something really good, potentially to watch down the stretch because those fans deserve it. You led perfectly into what I think is going to be one of the most fascinating questions of this year's trade deadlines. What are the Orioles going to do? Because you know, even at the end of this eight-game winning streak and their improvement in the standings and getting closer to that group of four teams at the top of the American League East, according to fan graphs, their chances this morning for making the playoffs are at 1.3%. 
uh, and I, you know, you know that the, the Orioles front office is very analytics driven. What's your guess about what they're going to do there? Cause I'm with you. Like, I think that they owe it to the fan base to ride this out. If they see a, an opportunity to win, I, I don't think they should necessarily just dump Trey Mancini for a B minus prospect, which is probably what you're going to get at this stage. Uh, you know, when, with him that close to free agency, it's probably what you're going to get for some of the pieces they have. Right. I totally agree. It's not like they have pieces that everybody wants and and three young players are going to come back and return. So if you're not going to get that great return, then don't trade Trey Mancini because he has been such an integral part, not just of their lineup, but of their comeback story. So I don't think they're going to do anything major. I mean, Lopez, everybody's going to want him in the bullpen, but he's been great. Why would you trade your best reliever at this point, even though people are going to be asking? I would write it out and say, we're going to try to, we're going to try to make the playoffs in a year where no one gave us a chance to do anything. So I would be surprised at this moment if they went out and did anything major in the unload situation. So the show that you and I did on Friday night was the uh, the uh, reveal of the all-star starters. Uh, and then on Sunday, we had the reveal of the all-star bench in pitching staff. Uh, look, every year, I think you'll agree with me on this, whoever you pick, somebody, it's going to feel like got left behind. There's going to be some kind of a snub. So I don't want to go through every single one. Just give me one that jumped out at you where you're like, eh, I don't know if, if we got that one right. Well, first off, Buster, we had to do the all-star rosters, all of us at .com, and that was an exceptionally difficult exercise, especially with the constraints they put on it. You have to have X number of players here and everything else. It was I, I took two days trying to figure that out, and when I looked at it, I still left really good players off. So to answer your question, Uh, Carlos Rodon should be on the all-star team. I'm really surprised that he's not Logan Gilbert of the Mariners should be on the all-star team. One of those Phillies pitchers, Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler should be on the all-star team. I have a list of about 10 guys, Tommy Edmond, Ty France, all those guys should be on the all-star team, but it proves again, especially with the pitching, just how much great pitching there is out there. Buster, we had to pick 12 pitchers per league. I could have gone 25 deep in each league and felt like every one of these 25 deserves to be on the all-star team. That's how many great seasons we're having from closers, middle relievers, starters, everywhere. And I just, I think it's just another indication what power pitching we have out there. But to me, the biggest one of all, I think was Carlos Rodon. Just remember how great he was the first two months. He had a tiny lull. His numbers are awfully good. He should be on the all-star team. I thought Dansby Swanson should have been the uh, National League starter over Trey Turner at shortstop. Uh, You know, given how well he's played, I think he's had a better overall year. So it surprised me that uh, they got that. I agree with you with Rodon. Like, I I assumed, of course, he's going to be on the team when I did my list. And I'd say this because I went through the same process that you did, and we were doing the same rules that they have for uh, the managers where you have to pick one player from at least one player from every team. I found two uh, overriding observations. One, 
Uh, the American League roster to me is so much better than a National League roster overall. Like I looked at him and go, wow, the American League is stacked. The other thing, too, it was a lot easier to do the American League team for me than it was the National League team. What about you? Yeah, I had a first off, I think the American League roster is better, especially when you look at the DHs and you have to choose between Jordan Alvarez and and Shohei Otani. I mean, there were so many difficult decisions. Um, I, I was struck a little bit by how how few how many we don't have very many good catchers out there. Not that Jose Trevino doesn't belong on the all-star team. He's had a great first half, but it's hard to find catchers who even qualify for the batting title play enough to be on the team that's what amazes me and first base in the american league wasn't nearly as strong as i thought it was going to be the outfield in the national league sorry was not nearly as good as i thought it would be so there were some really odd things that i saw in trying to put my teams together and i really had a hard time with it and i thought i was right that you know brandon drury should make the all-star team for the reds and he didn't. So there were there were a lot of things, but it just proves again, you're going to upset, you're going to offend somebody with whatever list you come up with for the all-star teams. And I'm curious to see if you agree with me on this. I, I think that uh, Major League Baseball Player Association needs to take a look at the rules regarding the DH. Because you know and I know, uh, yes, there are some players who, you know, David Ortiz back in the day, he was a full-time DH. The way the DH is used now, the players are not at that position necessarily every day, which is how, you know, in a, in, a, in a convoluted way, a roundabout way, we wind up with William Contreras starting the All-Star game for the National League with 143 at-bats, and Freddie Freeman isn't on the team. That seems silly to me, Tim. Yes, I agree. The DH is not what it used to be. We don't have Don Baylor and Harold Baines and David Ortiz anymore. The DH is used as it should be used, as a place to give a position player a day off his feet defensively and let him hit four times. I looked at my National League ballot. I didn't have a designated hitter in the National League, so I took Josh Bell and C.J. Crone and said, you guys are the DHs. I don't care if they DH the game all year. That's not the point. The point should be the DH is used in a different way now than it's ever been used, and it no one should be labeled as a DH. It's a great place to keep guys healthy and get their bat in the lineup. Yeah, uh, that that to me was uh, the rules uh, that that led to a big mess in terms of selection of the All Star team. Look, William Contreras, William Contreras, great young player. He's going to do well going forward. Had an excellent first half but he shouldn't be on the all-star team over some of the guys who are left behind. Uh, there's going to be a lot of conversation the next week about who should be the all-star game starting pitchers. Who would you have? Of course, uh, you know, and I know a lot of the conversation is should Clayton Kershaw start for the national league in Dodger stadium because he's never had a start in an all-star game. What do you think? Right. To me, the two best pitchers in the major leagues for the first half have been Shane McClanahan and Sandy Alcantara. Those guys should start the all-star game if you're picking the best pitchers 
of the first half. And Alcantara is not even close. Buster, he's thrown 130 innings. I mean, Tony Gonsolin, I love that kid. He, If he starts the All-Star game, believe me, I'm okay with it. But he's pitched 88 innings. And Alcantara's thrown 130. That's 42 more innings. In this day and age, that's like seven, six more starts. That's how durable he's been. But, look, I'm going to – so I would start Alcantara because I think he's been the best pitcher. However, if anyone wants a great story, and I root for the story, Buster, it's the only thing I'm allowed to root for, then Clayton Kershaw should start the All-Star game, and he should start it against Shohei Otani. Just don't tell me, though, that he's more deserving than anyone else because as much as I love Clayton Kershaw, the best pitcher in the National League has been the guy from the Marlins, not Clayton Kershaw. Yep, I agree with you, and I get it. You know, there have been times when Kershaw probably should have been the all-star game starter, uh, and he wasn't. That doesn't mean that Sandy Alcantara in this unbelievable season should not get the opportunity that he's earned. I'm going to steal the framework of the numbers that you provided. You know, uh, Sandy's got 130 innings pitch, as you said. Kershaw's got 63 and two-thirds, less than half, okay? So I – I really hope that Brian Sicker, when he picks his guy, picks that guy because that guy has earned it. In recent days, we're hearing a lot of really cool names in regards to the home run derby. Nothing's been made official. You know how this goes. Players can say yes one at one point, and then they can say later, you know what, I'm not going to do that, uh, whether it's uh, because they finished the first half in a slump or the team's not going great, or maybe they hear voices in their organization telling them not to do it. So it can be a fluid situation, but the names we're hearing, defending champion Pete Alonso, uh, who's won it uh, in the last two years, and I don't think there's any question he has mastered this event. Giancarlo Stanton, it seems like there's a real chance he's going to participate going back to California where he grew up. Shohei Otani, who electrified that event last year, uh, surprises, uh, I think, a little bit that he wasn't able to finish off that great performance that he had in, in advance. But uh, with the Angels being so close to Dodger Stadium, it seems like he's going to do it. Kyle Schwarber, who had that great showing in, what was it, 2018 against uh, Bryce Harper. He wound up being the runner-up. He could wind up doing it. Ronald Acuna Jr. potentially could be in there. And there's some other names floating around. But, Tim, if we get those five – you and I could do it, and it would still be the best home run derby ever. Uh, absolutely, it'll be the greatest home run derby ever if those five guys are in it because Acuna is a joke with his power to right center field. Remember in Miami when he just got tired of hitting balls to left field, you know, he just said, all right, I'll hit a few homers to right field now, and then he did it. Stanton still hits the ball as far and as hard as almost anyone I've ever seen in my life. Alonzo's as good at this as anybody. And last year, Otani was was the story and didn't even win. But he was so great in that. Uh, the, the, the Derby still works, Buster. I'm so happy that the Derby still works. You know, the clock is the greatest part about baseball is that we don't have a clock. And the clock saved the home run Derby. And now with guys rushing and going up against others and Pete Alonso's incredible interest in all of this, I can't wait for the home run Derby. It's going to be tremendous because the last few years, it always is. I can't wait for the start of the Mets and Braves series tonight. Uh, uh, the Braves have cut the lead of the Mets to a game and a half 
And now these teams are facing each other. When I was around the Braves last week, the players are like, boy, this would be great. And it wasn't like we want the Mets. It was more like this is what a fun series is going to be with a little extra uh, thrown on top with the Braves making the trade yesterday for Robinson Cano, who's going to be active for this series, Tim, starting tonight. Of course, Robinson Cano released earlier this year by the Mets. Uh, went on, signed with the Padres, the minor leagues. He actually was hitting really well. And the Braves are adding him in part because they need left-handed uh, help off the bench. But also, Robinson Cano is a start, smart player. Maybe he's bringing a little intel. What do you think about this series? Uh, I love the series. Let's not forget the Braves were ten and a half games behind the Mets. And I think it was you, Buster, that said this race is over. And uh, and now the Mets are only a game and a half ahead of the Braves. This is so good. And, of course, we get Max Freed against Max Scherzer tonight. I believe Max Scherzer is the greatest major leaguer ever named Max. And Max Freed is the second greatest pitcher ever named Max, and they're going up against each other. Max Freed is so good and has been so good for the last month. Scherzer, 11 strikeouts, is his first start off the IL. What a great way to start. To me, maybe the best series of the season, given where the Braves were, where they are now, and given the whole drama of the Mets. Yeah, the Mets have been tremendous. That's what's interesting about this series and about uh, how the Braves have caught up to the Mets. You're right. I declared this series over or this yeah. division over uh, at the end of May. Uh, what's amazing about it is it's not like the Mets have been playing bad. It's not like the Mets collapsed like they did in 2007 when the Phillies caught them. They've been playing fine, but the Braves have been playing out of their minds, like 125 win pace for about six weeks. And you think about that team, they're defending champions and they essentially won the World Series last year without the help of Ronald Acuna Jr., who might be the most dynamic player in baseball. And he's back now after recovering from that knee injury. And it looks like right now they have the number one and number two candidates for National League Rookie of the Year, also added since the end of last year, and Spencer Strider and Michael Harris II. Right, and those two guys are as big a reason as any that that team has taken off. Buster, they're 29-8. and eight in their last 37 games. And you're right. Dansby Swanson's been as good a player as there is in the league for the last month and a half. Now Austin Riley is red hot and Spencer Strider is one of the best stories of the year. And Michael Harris, the second is one of the great stories. Also the the Braves have to be feeling so good about where they are right now. Both those teams are going to the playoffs. I'm certain of that, but it's going to be a great series to see if the Braves can sweep the Mets. I don't anticipate that happening and take over the lead. That would be amazing. Yeah. I told you before that my son Jake is a Braves fan. And so this afternoon we're going to go to the store and we're going to get some drinks and we're going to fill the Yeti cooler with some ice and get some snacks because we're digging into this series. This will be a lot of fun over the next few days. Last one before you go, uh, Yankees have this massive lead uh, in the American League East. They uh, blew two games, two leads the last two days against the Red Sox, but they're still in great shape. I think one of the questions for the Yankees is, how do you use that massive lead? And we talked a little bit about it on the broadcast last night. Uh, You know, you certainly – are not going to keep guys in the lineup if they have little nagging injuries. For example, Aaron Judge uh, was out of the starting lineup on Thursday against the Red Sox, and I asked around, and I was told, yeah, if it was close, he probably would have played that night. 
You're not going to use relievers in back-to-back games. Sarah Langs helped me out with this yesterday. In April, they had 16 uh, relievers go pitch on back-to-back days. This month, they've had two. Uh, and I think it'll really affect him what the Yankees do with the trade deadline. With a massive lead, how aggressive are you going to be to make a deal for, say, Andrew Benintendi in a bidding situation if you know you're going to win the division one way or the other. If you're trading for Ben Attendee, you're essentially just trading him for postseason games. Yeah, it's a fascinating situation they're in. And, of course, always give me the big lead so I can do the rest of the season at my pace. But there is a danger in being that far ahead. Maybe you lose your aggressiveness at the trade deadline. You lose your momentum because you're resting so many guys. But I think they'll go get somebody at the trade deadline. And Benintendi, to me, given his defense from last year, given the way he swung the bat this year, I think the Yankees need one more outfielder, and I think he's the guy. Now, you're right. There's going to be a bidding war for him because all sorts of teams are going to be interested in him because there are so few position players that can really help, and he's one of them. So it'll be really interesting to see what Brian Cashman does here with his roster. All right, Tim. Uh, I hope that you'll continue coming on the podcast next week and and then the week after that, after you are inducted to the Hall of Fame. I still can't believe you asked me if I mentioned anyone other than myself in the speech. <laughs> so bad. Oh, All right, Buster. Yeah. Thanks. Thank I'll you. happily be on the show next week. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, 
or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. On Sunday, David Cohn sat down in the visitor's dugout at Fenway Park with Aaron Judge. Give a listen. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Um, There's been such a, a good vibe on this team this year. You know, you got DJs in batting practice at Yankee Stadium. Every time you guys win a game, it's like... I walk by the clubhouse, it's lit up, it's like the club. Reminds me of the 80s Mets, you know, like we're out at the club. You know, tell me a little bit about the vibe, the difference between last year and this year. Well, first, Cody, we got, we got a great ball club. Um, I think a lot of guys in that have confidence in each other. And when you got a team, you know, great ball players that trust each other and go out there and compete every single day, you know, it makes for some, um, you know, fun days at the ballpark. And, um, you know, we're kind of an older group. You know, so I think that kind of helps out too. We got a lot of guys that have won World Series, been on long playoff runs, been in big moments. Um, so that just allows us to go out there and have some fun. And you know, when something happens on the field, if we you know lose a lead early or if it's a close game late in the game, you know, we're still having fun knowing that you know we're in every single game. So when you got a team like that that supports each other, you know, on and off the field, you know, it makes for some, like I said, some fun days in the ballpark. Yeah, it seems like you guys have a lot of fun. You moving over to center field quite a bit. I know kind of toyed with it for a little while. Now you've been there quite a bit, and it opens up everything on this roster because you obviously have some extra players, whether it's uh, DJ at third or Josh at third. You open up the DH a little bit, Stanton and right. You, that's an important deal for you to play center field, right? Yeah, you know, I, I got drafted as a center fielder. Um, I've, been, I've been in Booney's year. I feel like every year wanting to play a little bit of center field. Um, because I, I kind of thought the same thing. I feel like it would kind of help our roster out, helps move some guys around. Because in 2018, when we, you know, added Stanton, you know, he was just coming off an MVP year. You know, he played right field, and you know, I was trying to lobby to them, like, hey, I'll play wherever we need to to get that guy out there in the outfield and you know help this team out. And you know, we made some trades. You know, like you said, got Josh Donaldson. You know, you got DJ and Glaber over at second base. You know, but all, all all those guys need to play every single day. You know, if we're going to be the best team we can be, they need to play every single day. So. You know, getting a chance to play some center, get Big G out and right, get Joey out and right, left, kind of move things around. I think that's helped, you know, for the most part, keep this team healthy and allowed, you know, skip a little flexibility with making that lineup so everybody's in there. We got the best lineup every single day. Nice. All-star game. Top vote getter. The last time two Yankee outfielders were next to each other, you got to go back to the 70s. Ricky and Dave Winfield. Ricky Henderson and Dave Winfield started in the all-star game. It's going to be you and G. How's that feel? Oh, we're, we're excited. You know, I've been looking looking forward to this for quite a long time since we got, you know, Big G came over to the Big Apple. Um, and he's such, you know, I was excited, you know, for him getting in. And it, the the work he puts in on a daily basis, I feel like he's he's been in the league now 12, 12 seasons, 12 years. Um, and he continues to learn, continues to want to improve. Um, he's been, a, you know, on the leadership side of things, he's been a big part of this clubhouse, you know, especially for the guys we brought over from Texas. You know, I think of Joey, Isaiah, um, and Trevi, you know, behind the plate, you know, just kind of letting them, you know, teach them the ways of like, you know, they came from 
some organizations where they've had a couple losing seasons and you know what it's like to come to New York where you're expected to win every single game and you know the pressure of you know, even if it's a Tuesday night game you know if it's on the road or at home you know you're expected to win that game it doesn't matter who the opponent is so you know, having Big G there to you know be a great leader and mentor for those guys and talk to them you know talking through them things is has been big time so you know I'm, I'm excited to share the outfield with them in, in LA. Nice. History of the Yankees. This is the second time you've hit 30 home runs before the break. You know, when you think about, you know, I know you think about team for your team first guy, you always have been. What would it mean to you to, to hit that mark, you know, where Roger Maris was, where Mickey Mantle was back in the, made a movie about it. Billy Crystal made a movie about it called 61. I mean, you're on track again. You're healthy, better than you've ever been. Do you think about it? <laughs> Uh, you try not to, right. um, like, like you said, you know, I try to focus on what I can do for the team and whatever I can just to win tonight's game. Right. And then, you know, we'll get ready for the next one and look down the road later. But, uh, it, it would, it would be pretty cool to, you it's know, it's okay to say it would be, it, it, it would be something. <laughs> it's all right. You know, Yeah, it'd be cool. That's one thing that the Yankees are about. They're about history. They've had a lot of great players come yeah. through here and get a chance to, you know, be a part of that history and do something yeah. special like that. Besides win a ring, you know, but to have a little title like that sure, too. Sure, sure. Rings first, of course, yeah. of course. Um, you know, I, I was in the same position as you when my first time I was a free agent. And I turned down a pretty significant offer for the times back then. And I bet on myself. So I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, feel good about that decision at this point? You still feel good about where you are with the organization? Or are you just kind of just putting it, putting it uh, away for now and trying not to think about it, but it's got to be, it's got to be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. You know, my mind hasn't changed since, you know, spring training going into this year. Um, like I've said before, I wanted to get a deal done. I wanted to get something done and kind of get past this so we didn't have to think about it. But, uh, you know, didn't get it done. And, you know, now it's the easy part. Focus on playing baseball, the game that I love, you know, with such a great team and, you know, so many great people surrounding me. It's, it's, it's made it a fun couple of months. And, you know, we'll we'll handle all that other stuff later. Right. If we get it figured out before the year ends, you know that'd be great. But you know, and we still I still got great you know communication with, with all the Yankee brass man. They're they're great. You know, it's been a privilege playing here the past six you know seasons, and you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully some more. Nice. All right. So I know you are starting a new foundation with your parents, who I've talked to about it, the All Rise Foundation. Have you? Got your mission statement yet? You, you think about where you want to target, what you want to do? Yeah, the big the big thing with All Rise Foundation is the youth. You know, that's where I see the future. You know, the future of this world is in you know empowering the youth to go out there and be better leaders, better citizens. You know, so we do different things, getting them in different camps, uh, different after school programs. You know, different mini grants we send out just to get kids you know out of trouble and you know kind of on the right path because there's a lot of things you can get into, a lot of mischief you can get into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, outside of school and. Um, away from your parents, so and just empowering those kids to you know be better leaders, and you know they're the next generation. They're gonna be the ones you know making decisions down the road here. So it, it's been a been a fun road so far. We've done a lot of stuff in California, um, you know, looking to branch out to New York and kind of the East Coast this upcoming year and and next year. And um, it's been a it's been a fun journey so far. Over the weekend, Trevor Story, the Boston Red Sox, was on ESPN Radio. Give a listen. Trevor, it's 2016, right? And you walk into that clubhouse, and there's DJ LeMayhew, and there's Nolan Arenado, and there's Charlie Blackman. What is the first feeling? Nolan told me, ask him about walking in. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, just uh, honestly a little overwhelmed, you know? Yeah. Those guys are, uh, you know, coming up in that organization, those guys are 
obviously, you know, really good all-star level players, and um, I've gotten to know him a little bit at the time. And but uh, yeah, man, just just thinking about. <laughs> you know how good those guys are and thinking yeah. about playing on the same field with them it was uh, a little overwhelming but you know at the same time I felt like uh, I felt like this is where I should be. Trevor when they trade Tulo right and we know how beloved he was you know with the Rockies and and you have to step into that role and the way that you did it with all those home runs just coming out is there a sense of you know I've arrived but did you still feel like shoot I still have to you know kind of win this fan base? Um, yeah I think You know, it's, it's natural to kind of think that you have to fill those shoes, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, you know, at that time, I didn't, I didn't think of it as, as <laughs> doing it that. Yeah, I was a kid. <laughs> you know, I didn't really know. Yeah. You know, I was just trying to survive, honestly. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, just, just trying to be myself and not trying to be anybody else. But, you know, Tulo helped me a lot, and he still does yeah. to this day. Um, so forever thankful to him and uh, the way that, uh, you know, he's impacted me throughout my career. He's done more than he can you know, then, then he knows, I think. And, um, but having those guys around me like Chuck and, um, DJ and Nolan, all those guys, um, just really, they really helped me feel comfortable from day one. And, um, yeah, so credit to those guys for letting me just kind of be me and, you know, um, that that's all I was trying to do. On the other side, you're watching DJ have the season that he had in 16. As we know, that was the, his, you know, NL batting title season. What is it like? Uh, Nolan, Nolan and Charlie all say that DJ is the most underrated player in baseball. He's like, he's the greatest hitter we've played with. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about DJ. What kind of hitter is DJ? What do you admire about him? Yeah. Same feelings here. I think he's, yeah. uh, you know, it's very, uh, <laughs> you know, slept on. You know, no one really, uh, you know, him being in New York is a little different now. Yeah. You know, I think he's getting the love that he deserves, but um he can he's he's the best hitter that i've seen on a on a consistent basis just line drives man he he always you know is hitting the ball hard no matter what um you know his his bad times are like you know one game and then you know the next game he gets four hits and um so yeah i think uh more than anything just the consistency of him and he can stay inside anything i feel like you know he hits he hits the ball on a line more than anybody i've ever seen uh that's why he's you know dj lemayu When you are out there now and you're on the other, you know, the two sides of this rivalry, obviously you have an extended contract now with the Red Sox. We hope to see you, you know, nice and healthy here for a long time. And now you're part of, is it weird? I mean, this is the guys, right? You came up in this organization, you know, they were up there already, but I mean, they're the guys you, you grew up with in baseball. Is it strange to see each other on the other side here yeah. at Fenway Park? No, it is. It is. <laughs> um, just because, you know, the, uh, how big this rivalry is, you know, yeah. and he's, you know, he's one of my best friends. Um, But you know, once outside we get on the, the yeah, right. Once we get on the field and inside the lines, it's different. Yeah. And um, you know, we're we're trying to beat each other up there. And uh, so yeah, it is it is weird, but I think that uh, you know, it makes it a little more interesting for us. This is the final one on DJ. Nolan has told me that he's a better infielder because he played with you and DJ, and everything that he learned from Tulo too. How are you a better infielder because you played with those guys? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think we all just kind of pushed each other um, growing up or growing up in that organization. I think, you know, we didn't, you know, we, we were always talking ball and just kind of talking about ways we can get better. And But I think the work on the field, you know, pregame, the extra work, the early work in spring, you know, and I think more than anywhere, I think, you know, it was part of the culture to, to really work and like get your ground balls in and do it every single day. And I think that was, uh, that's where we, I think, grew the most. And, Just watching those guys from afar, um, 
that's where I modeled my work ethic after, and yeah. you know, especially Tulo in that sense, and Nolan and DJ. Those those are the guys that I think uh, kind of formed my work and habits, and uh, the intensity that you do it with, I think, matters a lot. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. How are you, Buster? I'm doing okay, but I suspect that you're a little bit anxious because today, the start of the series between the Braves and the Mets. Uh, And I was telling Tim, you know, my son, as you know, is a Braves fan. He's on the opposite fence uh, side of the fence from you are. We're going to go to the store. We're going to fill a Yeti cooler with drinks and we're going to get snacks. Because this series is going to be a lot of fun. I'm curious, A, how you're feeling about this series. And how about the Braves? Little move picking up Robinson Cano on the eve of the series. And he's going to be active tonight. I mean, I know that they picked him up because they need him. They need a lefty, whatever else. But it feels like the ultimate gamesmanship to be picking him up on Sunday evening, heading into the series. I saw reporting that he might be active by the series, maybe tonight. He is going to be active tonight. There we go. I mean, I love that. (laughs) That is just such a baseball thing, and that is outstanding. You know, it's really interesting. I know that Mets fans on Twitter have been nervous. You know, I see my colleague Anthony DiComo and everyone who covers the team sort of responding, hey, this team is really good. Calm down. It's okay. But you look at the division lead, you look where they are, and the Braves have been so good. I mean, for me, you know, I'm so excited by Michael Harris II. I feel like we talked about him when he was on Sunday Baseball with the Braves a couple weeks ago. He, it feels like, has really turned around this team. You know, I think we thought it would be the Acuna return, but if you go to May 28th when Harris was called up, that's really when they started going. So we'll see. But get your popcorn ready. As you were saying, it's going to be a good one. Let's play the numbers game. All right. I am filling in for Taylor, so I'm going to do my best. Number three. You're doing great, Sarah. Number three is 21. So that's how old Julio Rodriguez is. He is the only rookie on the All-Star teams either side this year. He is the third Mariner to be an all-star at age 21 or younger. And you know we have to go with Mariner's history here because you get Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez. And Julio Rodriguez has just been such a joy to watch. He is up there. He is going to make history along with the really, really outstanding history that the Mariners have of young players. And, you know, he had a great game on Friday night. He threw a ball 99.6 miles an hour for an assist. He had two batted balls at 105 plus. He ran really fast on the base pass and he made all the fun of himself in the world after he tripped trying to hit a triple in the first inning. He kind of swam to third and the next day he was out on the field with floaties on his arms. So just a great talent and the youngest all-star we have this year. Number two. Number two is two for the two Contreras brothers. So Wilson and William Contreras will be starting the All-Star game for the National League. Wilson catching and William, who is also a catcher, will be the starting DH in place of Bryce Harper. So it'll be just the fifth set of brothers 
to start the All-Star game for the same league in the same year. Sandy uh, Almar Jr. and Roberto Almar did in 1991 and 92 for the AL. Joe and Dom DiMaggio in 1949 for the AL. And then we go back to 1947 in the NL. Dixie and Harry Walker in 1942 and 43 in the NL with Mort and Walker Cooper. So really exciting. We saw a great moment on the field when they played each other earlier this year. There's a lot of love between these brothers, of course, and it'll be really cool to see that moment on the field in LA. Number one. Number one is 10. So Matt Carpenter, last night on Sunday at baseball, hit his 10th homer with the Yankees. That was in his 26th game with the team. Only three players have reached 10 homers with the Yankees in fewer games. Glenn Allen Hill, who got there in 17, Gary Sanchez in 22, and Kevin Moss in 25. So it's just been so much fun to see a guy who, you know, I think a lot of us thought might have been finished having such success with the Yankees. Well, I can tell you who it's a lot of fun for the most, and that is Matt Carpenter. It just so happened that uh, during the course of the game, I uh, was getting ready to interview Yankees manager Aaron Boone, and I was standing next to the Yankees dugout, and Matt went up a couple of the dugout steps right next to where I was standing, and I caught his eye, and I'm like, how much fun are you having? And he just had the biggest grin on his face, like, wow, this is awesome, and he was actually – I caught him kind of looking around Fenway at the scene. He is having an absolute blast. So you're, I'm glad you did something on Matt. All right. Uh, give me the, the conversation after the all-star teams are named is always about snubs, which as I said to Tim is a little bit silly because there's always going to be players who, you know, you theoretically uh, are left behind for you though. Give me a player that you were surprised they're not on the American league roster player. You surprised not on the national league roster. For the American League, you know, two come to mind really quickly with Dylan Cease and Ty France. I think they're both having really, really great seasons. It ends up being kind of a numbers game, no pun intended, with needing a representative from each team, everything else. But especially with Cease, I feel like he could end up there. I think uh, Garrett Cole is scheduled to pitch on that Sunday, so he won't be active. I don't know about France, but these things tend to work themselves out. So I don't, uh, you know, as you said, the snubs conversation, I know people go there, but, you know, it's such a great honor for the guys who did make it. For the National League, I'll go with Josh Bell. You know, I was kind of expecting him to be the Nationals uh, rep. Great for Soto, and he is playing much better lately. But first base in the National League is so stacked. So I think that was, again, kind of just making everything work, you know, but there. I hope they can talk Juan Soto into the home run derby, do being the home run derby, because if he's part of that, I've already didn't even include him in my conversation with Tim. But if you got Soto and Schwarber and Acuna and Shohei Otani and Giancarlo Stanton and Pete Alonso, that would be unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that sounds amazing. He put on such a show last year, remember, against Otani. Yes. Everyone was expecting, oh, Otani's going to win it. 
they had that great uh the swing off everything i mean and he was so into the show of it which i think is really important and as Carl mentioned on the broadcast last night, it turned around his season. He did it so he could start hitting up a little more, and he needs that again this year. So, you know, Juan Soto, if you're listening, do the home run derby. Fix your season. Make it as good as it's been lately. Let's see it. All right, Sarah. Great to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Monday. Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew writes in, okay, Buster, going to be a lot of talk about the all-star snubs, but how about some of the good stories from this all-star roster? How about some Jose Trevino, Julio Rodriguez, Martin Perez, Nasty Nestor, Tony Gonsolin, Luis Arise, and heck, Albert and Miggy, too. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's some cool moments. And by the way, how about Aaron Boone uh, secretly videotaping uh, the Yankee players, when he told him he was putting him on the all-star team, he actually had his little laptop there. He didn't tell him he had his camera on. So that's how we got some of those cool reactions like this from Jose Trevino. I know, I know you're all about winning the championship and that's what we're here to do. Right. Yeah. And one of the reasons we're in this position that we're in right now is because of you. So, I think there's a little break in the championship run next week. I think you should go to LA so you can be in the midsummer class. Let's go! Home. <laughs> Hose, yeah! Hosey, you're an all star. And you 100% deserve this. You've been so good in every way, brother. You're a major league all star. No one will ever, ever be able to take that away from you. So happy for you. Thanks, brother. Nice going. I appreciate it, man. Just getting started. Thank you. Yeah, Enjoy for sure. that thing. Congrats, man. you guys. Proud of you, dude. Thanks, appreciate it, guys. <laughs> yeah. You're serious? You didn't know yet? No, I had no Good. clue. Like, I was like, oh, well, probably not going to go. Like, just take my three days. I was actually going to go buy a car in Texas. Uh-huh. Like, holy. You're serious, right? I'm serious. You're going to L.A., brother. Dodger Stadium. Yep. Yeah, dude. <laughs> if you had told me a year ago, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> a New York Yankee and then an All-Star, I wouldn't believe you. I'd be like, nah, I'm going to be, I don't know. Believe it. So... Amy Chapman at Amy R. Chapman writes in, Buster, I agree with Taylor and Sarah on the Kyrie sales sitch. That's a good zing. In my opinion, he risked injury, broke things. It might be hard for a minor league team to afford him a place. And even if he comes back, he can't play in Toronto. Why give him a players will be players pass? Uh, so, so yesterday, this is a true story. Rob Bradford, WEI, and I were sitting in the dugout, and Rich Hill walks up. Uh, you know, he, of course, a uh, friend of the podcast, great guy, been pitching forever, and, and he had the same reaction I did, like, yeah, that happens all the time. He was telling stories about how he smashed a mirror by bouncing a bottle of water. I'm telling you guys, this happens all the time. It's I'm just, sure. It, it just happened to be a videotape on it. I, It's not unusual. I don't mind it. Just You just need to get the push broom out afterwards and clean up after yourself. I, like, not not going to happen. Uh, no, that, I mean... Hey, by the way, if you thought that was the case, where players, you know, were, would help out with cleaning up after themselves, 
Have you looked at the bottom of dugout after every game? Like the between the sunflower seeds and the gum and the spit and all that. Players aren't cleaning that up. I think that's fine, but I feel like the gratuitous destruction of property is not great. And if you want to do it, clean up after yourself. That's all I'm saying. Let's stop. Sarah, I yep. know Tom, I haven't convinced Taylor, but I convinced you after telling you like players are like, eh, that happens all the time. And Rich Hill, you heard him, Sarah. He's like the nicest guy ever. He's not a snap yeah. guy. And he's telling us, yeah, yeah, that's what goes on. I understand it happens all the time, but I'm with Taylor. Like, if you're going to smash something, clean it up. You know, that if it's on you and it's an expensive thing, like Amy Chapman was saying, like, that's hard for a minor league team. You know, manners, manners. Eduardo Perez, David Cohn had the same reaction I did. Like, yeah, this is what is said. This, this shouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> I do appreciate his passion. Yeah. I do appreciate the passion. I understand the passion. But if you're going to, you know, break things, clean them up, replace them. Yeah. All right. We'll put that controversy to bed. Uh, be good to each other at the legend 22888 writes. And how is it possible Clayton Kershaw has never started an all-star game? Would you support honoring him at Dodger Stadium by starting him over guys having better seasons, including Alcantara and Gonsolin? Yeah, it's shocking that uh, Kershaw has not started an all-star game. There's certainly been situations in the past when he's earned it. And you know what? Sandy Alcantara, as I was talking about with Tim, he's earned it this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think you should take it away from him to, you know, to give a gratuitous nod to Clayton Kershaw, who's been an unbelievable player just because the game happens to be in L.A. Sandy Alcantara has earned the right to be the starter this year. Absolutely. All right, we're going to wrap up Bleacher Tweets with the praise for the Baltimore Orioles rolling in over the weekend. In my mention, I'll rattle a couple off here. Brian Roll at Baseball Brian writes in, are the Orioles the scariest AL East team for contenders to play against right now? I would still say the Yankees, probably not. Uh, Sarah Langs at uh, Slangs on Sports just wrote the Orioles the other night, probably after their walk-off on Friday. Uh, Matt Kayaking-Smith, follow-up for Sarah. How obnoxious is it working with uh, Taylor right now? I'm pretty level-headed, Sarah, right? I don't think you're being obnoxious. I'm happy when my friends are happy. And, you know, he has been through the ringer. He deserves it. Deserves to talk the talk. <laughs> Last one, Katie Casey, Tweeter Bleats. Buster, your pick of Toronto to win the World Series could be destroyed by Taylor's Orioles only two games back. What universe is, what universe is this destroyed uh, by the Orioles? Is a little presumptuous, I think. Yeah, I noticed, Sarah, did you notice how, like, there was no pre-show conversation? Taylor just sort of took over the Bleacher tweets to celebrate Mm -hmm. his Orioles. Yes, he absolutely did. And, you know, it's funny, in the very beginning, when he first, you know, was doing the accent and everything in my head, I'm like, man, a little obnoxious. little Mm. obnoxious. But (laughs) you've deserved it. You've earned it. I'm happy for your happiness. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. What go goes, everyone? Man, Taylor, for someone who's from that area, I, I don't think your accent's great, you know? You don't think I don't, so? I don't, I, you know, I think you're like I am, that you have a, even though I grew up in central Vermont, my brother speaks with this thick Vermont accent. Other members of my family have Vermont accent. I think you're like I am, and that we somehow we got through where we grew up without having that uh, that effect in how we speak. It's true. My dad had like a, a Baltimore-ish accent. Um, I was listening. I saw some videos of him recently, and I was like, damn, how did I not pick that up? I'm actually thankful that I did. I'm, I'm more of an Annapolis guy, if I'm being honest with myself. 
All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Sarah, Sarah, and Taylor. And then we also had Trevor Story. We had David Cohn. We had Aaron Judge. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast.